ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is The Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Dogs in public places has been a huge topic this week and debate around whether or not dogs should be allowed in pubs. The fact is, many people take their dogs everywhere they go, from the hairdresser to a cafe, even Bunnings. So rather than us asking, is this okay, should we really be asking, why? Why are we taking our dogs everywhere? Jeremy Story Carter, good morning. Morning. When I was growing up, dogs, and we had multiple dogs, German Shepherds, Labradors, Mutts, Sausage Dogs, you name it. My mum was like, if there's a dog you don't know what to do with, give it to Janice, right? So we had plenty of dogs, but they were treated very differently. I'm not saying badly, but they were treated very differently to how dogs are treated today. Totally, totally agree. Totally same. I mean, growing up, we had a Kelpie, absolutely beloved family dog, and I would have thought of us as a family as being pretty good dog owners, but we never would have considered taking her out with us to, say, lunch or dinner. And now I am that guy. I am absolutely that guy. My wife and I take our beautiful cattle dog cross, Tilly, absolutely everywhere with us, and we'll seek out cafes and pubs that specifically welcome dogs. Can I ask a personal question? And feel free to say no Mm -hmm. here. Why? Why do you take Tilly everywhere? Like when you were growing up, your dog would have stayed at home. So why now does Tilly go with you everywhere? Uh, There's a few reasons. Obviously, we love her to bits, and so her being happy makes us happy. But the main one, I suppose, is we want her to feel stimulated and to be adjusted, be Mm -hmm. a pretty well-socialised dog. We're not those people. We don't infantilise her or anything. There's no, like, puppuccinos at our table. But we sort of feel it's it's part of the mix of being good dog owners that kind of in addition to walking her a couple of times a day, committing to adopting a dog as we did meant committing to involving her in our lives as much as possible. And thinking back, like it wasn't like when... I was young and our family Mm. were particularly well off, but we had a backyard that I could only dream of right now. And I reckon that I'm not alone in that regard. So I sort of feel like that's all part of the mix of the responsibility of dog ownership. Mm. See, yeah, I look at that and I think, is it responsibility? Is it about a a sense of, well, this is my dog. I've paid a lot of money for my dog. I want to be able to take my dog wherever I go. But what I find interesting about today's conversation is pet ownership in general and the reasons why people may own a pet now, I think are very, very different to how they looked 20, 30 years ago. And that might be everything. And the reasons why people are taking their dogs everywhere might be, yes, because you've paid maybe five or $10,000 for that dog. And so anything that you paid that much money on, you want by your side the entire time. It might be the sense of responsibility that you have, Jeremy. I also wonder whether or not people see their dogs as, I'm going to say it, as their children. Mm, I have thoughts on that. I'm keen to drill into this because I actually I see it. There is a little bit of that, but I see it a little bit differently to that. So why are we taking our dogs everywhere we go? What is the reason behind it, do you think? How has pet ownership changed? This is The Conversation Hour. 
Good morning, Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you. Jeremy, a part of the National Regional Reporting Team. We're talking about the shift in pet ownership now, the sense of responsibility and the reasons behind why so many of us are taking our dogs absolutely everywhere we go. And Danny's done just that. And I feel like Danny, for me, Bentley and I have a lot in common. We're taking our dogs everywhere because in a world that can be very tough, they're a source of joy and comfort. Plus, they're awesome. So why wouldn't you if you could? And to be honest, I've read that many articles that are sort of loosely uh, titled something like, why is this current generation so obsessed with dogs? And I was actually reading, like, I think it's a, a, a global thing. So it's worth you know, widening the aperture a little bit mm-hmm. on this one, at least in the Western world. Um, and I do think that this is going on around in a lot of communities. Um, there was this line from very august uh, publication, The Atlantic, that I was reading. For uh, new owners, a dog can be many things, a dry run for parenthood, a way of putting down roots when traditional milestones feel out of reach, an enthusiastic housemate for people likely to spend stretches of their 20s and 30s living alone, An even more primary task, though, is helping soothe the psychic wounds of modern life. Now, that might sound very uh, high and mighty, and, of course, it's not just millennials, but, you know, I'm in my 30s, and I see this everywhere in people a decade either side of me. There are a lot of those traditional adult, all caps, sort of milestones or checkpoints that a lot of people feel are generationally kind of a bit out of reach, uh, mm. you know, things like home ownership, maybe even having kids. And so once you start to think about them in those terms, you can start to understand why many dogs are ending up in our pubs and cafes and the sort of compulsion behind that. But that kind of comes down to the fact that they are replacing children to a certain degree and we're treating them like children, not like dogs. Now, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but when we're trying to scrape away the why, why is it that there there are dogs at my greengrocer that my baker has had to put a sign up in the front window that says, it's not that we don't love dogs, we just don't want them in our bakery, right? It's got to that point where we're discussing it on air. It's Something has shifted. (laughs) Something absolutely has shifted. And I maybe I sound a little bit sensitive here, but I, I, I do think there are two buckets to... Um, are we going to have our first fight? It feels like that. It's brewing. My <laughs> temperature's getting up. Um, it, it does feel like that because there are two buckets to me. There is the very um, designer dog sort of generation where very, um, you know, p- pampered and, and maybe social media kind of orientated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Walking a fine line here, my friends. Pet, yeah. pet ownership. And then I think there are those who, it's not a, you know, not treating them like children, treating them absolutely like dogs, but dogs that you want to have a fulfilling kind of nourishing life and enriched life, a socialised life and a stimulated life. And so involving them everywhere is part of the mix. Caroline's in, uh, Christine, apologies, is in Clifton Springs. Morning, Christine. Good morning. What did you want to say? We're just back from seven weeks travelling in our caravan with our dog. And how's that been going for you? Really, really great. I mean, we got him from the from the pound, so we would never put him back in a kennel or anything. So we took him with us, and um, he didn't interrupt our um, our journey, except we cut short our dinosaur tour in uh, Winton because we didn't want to leave him alone for too long. But everywhere else, he was welcomed in caravan parks and travels really well. So did you change the type of holiday that you had? So you said you're travelling in a caravan park, uh, in a caravan. Is that so that you could take your dog with you, Christine? Have you altered the sort of holidays that you have? Yes. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we cruise as well, and obviously we can't take him, so he stays with family. But 
um, we certainly wouldn't consider going in the caravan without him. And I think, I mean, we've actually even seen the rise of being able to take your dog to a hotel. John in Mornington, Jeremy. Thanks, Christine. John in Mornington says birth rates are declining worldwide. The Italian government openly criticised younger couples for investing their devotion to their dogs rather than having children. Mm. I mean, that's, it's a real, I, I have people in my sort of extended circles who, uh, know that they won't have kids. Um, you know, there's generationally people who probably feel they can't afford to have kids or don't have necessarily the right home and living circumstances to um, support that. And so in lieu of that, um, a dog has become something that becomes a central point. And again, I really, I, I stress, I don't, I don't see a lot of the fur baby stuff. I don't see a lot of that, like, this is replacing a child. I, I, I don't. I see, I see care and I, I'm not talking about taking dogs to places that are impractical, like busy, loud, talking about more, you know, after a walk, going going to a venue where you're having a meal and having the dog sort of sit under the table on a lead and just sort of participating in that activity. And that's been debated this week, where you should be able to take them, especially when there's food that's being served. I know that there's a winery down uh, in Phillip Island, for example, where they have an entire menu that's there for the dogs. And there's texts in that are coming in talking around how they went to places um, where you could actually take your dog as a part of that wine tour as well. But what's shifted over the last 20 or so years? What's different now about pet ownership? This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you. We're looking into the why behind what has been a big debate this week, whether or not you should be able to take your dog to the pub. And one of those pubs that's in discussion is actually a pub that I worked at about 20 or or so years ago, and that is the Empress Hotel in Fitzroy. Guy David is the owner of the Empress. Guy, you've been a, a part of this debate around whether or not dogs should be in pubs. Where do you sit on this? I mean, I know 20-odd years ago when I was bussing at your fine establishment, there was maybe one or two older dogs in the courtyard, but that was about it. Yeah, thanks, uh, Rochelle and uh, Jeremy. Um, There's definitely been a a shift around this in the last 20 years um, and and probably even more so in the last sort of two to three years and and especially with the... the, um, you know, the onset of COVID, people working from home and, and whatnot. But we, we feel that dogs are fantastic in our venue um, and they add to that sense of community, that sense of family, um, sense of belonging. So we, we encourage it, um, yeah, quite a, quite a bit. Can I run a few um, assumptions that I've made uh, as someone who does go to pubs uh, pretty frequently? Um, <laughs> yeah. My sense is that particularly since uh, coming out of COVID, um, we, the nature of pubs has changed. The sort of uh, emphasis on, you know, heavy drinking is being replaced by something that feels a lot more communal in a lot of places. And, you know, there has been, of, of course, more emphasis on um, low alcohol. That's, that's part of the mix. But I also know that from speaking to some publicans, you know, people are uh, drinking a little bit less um, and that the cost of food is, is a difficult one, both for publicans and for um, patrons. And so in that, something like being a, a pub that welcomes uh, dogs and finds a way to accommodate them and sort of openly signals that to punters, that actually becomes quite a 
um, a valuable thing for both parties. Is that is is that something you've seen? Is any of that makes yeah, sense? I, I think I think a lot of that makes sense, uh, Jeremy. I think, um, yeah, just I think definitely that that change in drinking pattern is occurring, um, and I think that um, uh, that that. Even, I mean, our, our pub has historically been very, very community focused and very family focused, um, but that seems to be com- becoming increasingly more so now. Um, and, and you know, you start including extended sort of family members, the the furry ones, um, and and it just keeps adding to that that layering of sort of community and and um, uh, acceptance and and mm. inclusion. Yeah, and it's funny when we think about how different we treat our pets now over the last 20 compared to the last 20 or 30 years how we view accept manage and talk about mental health has changed dramatically over the last sort of 10 20 30 years as well and we know that pet ownership is huge when it comes to the loneliness epidemic that we're living through. I'm just wondering, Guy, quite a few people have sent in texts, you know, one saying, I've just come back from Germany. Um, you know, there are dogs everywhere. We're so behind here. Another saying, I've just come back from the UK where dogs are everywhere, even in the overnight sleeper train between London. Um, pets were allowed. They were well behaved. They were always cleaned up. It works there. Why not here? That's from Susan in Ballarat. Globally, are we a bit behind or is it just that we have stricter health regulations? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's probably one that I'm not um, that well-versed in. I, I haven't done that much travelling in the last few years, so no. I really couldn't, I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you what's going on um, in Europe at the moment. Um, uh, so, yeah, look, I, I don't know if we are sort of, you know, um, behind the world in, in that respect, but it, it does feel like that we are potentially a little bit overgoverned, you know, you know, just in terms of local sort of municipality laws. Um, can I ask, I... For every person who wants to take a dog to a pub, there are probably uh, two or three people who uh, hate the thought of it and don't want to be bothered by that. And so that, but the point I think in this conversation is that not like not every pub, in fact, arguably very few pubs, are going to be the sorts that orientate themselves towards this type of uh, patronage. So it's not like you can just bring a dog into a place that doesn't necessarily want mm. them there. Um, but do you have ways that you signal to owners that? they're welcome to bring their pets in and equally to other people that they might have to expect that there could be a dog hanging out in the beer garden? Um, not really, no. I mean, it's sort of just been this organic thing that's that's just sort of evolved. But I, I guess what we try and do is um, accommodate, you know, as many people as possible. So if you if you didn't necessarily want dogs hanging around you while you were eating then we've got our dining room area that we just say to people, hey, we're going to keep this dog free just so that, you know, potentially if there were even kids that were scared of dogs, they could enjoy their time, you know, in that particular area. But then, you know, obviously the beer garden could be full of dogs and then the bar, we might just have some really well-behaved sort of local dogs that um, they'd know how to behave indoors, you know, and at a pub. Just finally, Guy, and this is, I guess, a part of the debate that's happened in the city of Yarra, is looking at the health and safety aspects of it. And as a daughter of a publican, I would often be there when the health inspectors came and the rigorous testing and everything that was looked at and inspected when it came to health inspectors. 
I can't imagine a dog being in that environment, whether it be hair that gets around or you've got staff that might be patting with or playing with dogs and then serving food. How do you manage the food handling and yeah. the, the, the the safety? Yeah, well, I mean, look, in our particular arrangement here, the, the kitchen's quite well sort of um, disconnected from the other areas. So dogs don't get anywhere near the kitchen um, uh, or any of the food sort of prep areas. So, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're talking about, you know, a family household, dogs tend to walk in and around kitchens and around living rooms and, and whatnot. Um, they don't get the opportunity to go anywhere near our kitchen or our food prep area. So realistically, I mean, how is it any different to a dog sort of being in the lounge room in a family home? from a health point of view anyway. Guy David, good to hear from you. Thank you. The owner of the Empress in Fitzroy, this text. It's clear that Rochelle has a real problem with dogs being in shops and cafes, etc. You've spent too much time on this. I think they should be allowed in most places. My dentist and my hairdressers have dogs on their premises. They lower the levels of anxiety. Can I just say, if there was a dog at my dentist... I would not be at that dentist. I think I'd probably draw the line at the dentist too. For every Rochelle uh, text, there's a paired with a Jeremy one. <laughs> Jeremy, it's nice that you want to involve your dog in your life, but that means you involve your dog in everyone else's lives without their consent. I find unexpected dogs incredibly confronting. They cause me great anxiety. My day out is ruined by you involving your dog in your coffee at the cafe, and I'm sure you're offended, but I am too. My good mental health is just as precious to me as it is to you. Eric is in Paran. Morning, Erica. Oh, good morning. Um, I just wanted to say that dogs can bring a lot of joy to other people in shops. Um, I live in a built-up area in Paran in an apartment and along Chapel Street there are stickers on shops that um, say dogs are allowed in this on, on in these premises. So my dogs go into Dan Murphy's and Sports Girl and JB Hi-Fi and bonds and the people who work in those um, shops say this is fantastic please bring your dogs back um, they've made our day the dogs are so much particularly in Dan Murphy's the dogs are so much better than a lot of the humans we get in here so do you check Erica before you want go in do you ask um, you don't have to ask if the shop has a sticker on the front. It's the Chapel says Street Precinct, which says dogs are welcome. If um, um, there isn't a sticker, um, and I don't take them into food premises, I always ask. Yeah, okay, maybe that's a big part of it, just to check beforehand. Now, Doug's been listening in in Brighton. Doug, what did you want to share with the conversation? Yeah, I wanted to uh, flip it a little bit and why I think we should take dogs with us more. I'm, I was originally a zoologist, but I'm not a, a dog expert. But from the, the work I've read, dogs, we probably all appreciate, are incredibly social animals. They're pack animals. And so leaving them at home all day is actually quite cruel. And that's one of the reasons they're so happy to see you. Or if a dog gets out, you know, it's happy to see anybody. So I think if we turn it around to like why we should take dogs with us, it's because it's a kindness thing. It's an animal welfare issue. So I think, you know, obviously taking other people's um, views into consideration, it's it's a nice thing to have them with us as much as possible. It's and good the, for the idea dog. of how much has changed over 20 or 30 years, maybe keeping them at home the way that we did back in the 80s was cruel, Doug. 
Yeah, well, we uh, we had a dog, and now because of the work I do and the travel I do, we won't have a a dog at home because we can't take it uh, with us enough. And uh, when we retire, we'll have a dog so we can keep it with us most of the time. But I, I sort of do think it's a little bit cruel, and I don't think people are deliberately being cruel. They probably just don't think about it that dogs get bored. And you know, if if I locked a person at home, uh, you know, for eight hours a day, they'd probably be happy to see anybody at the front door. Yeah. So. <laughs> And it's worth reflecting on the fact that 20 or 30 years ago, as we mentioned from the top, you know, homes looked quite a lot different. And every time you see a, um, you know, double-fronted sort of suburban home get knocked down for five or six um, townhouses or apartments, you know, you're talking about backyards percentage-wise, there's likely to still be dogs in those places. See, those isn't that, and this is where the conversation gets deep, right? Mm. Because we need more homes and we need people to be able to live close to where they work. We need all of these things. But then with that, does there come the right to have a pet if you don't have that backyard? And then you bring into the conversation our mental and emotional well-being. And if it is helping with loneliness, if it's helping with anxiety, depression... There's plenty of health boffins who will tell you that, you know, dogs... Are the, Owning pets is actually a net benefit to our sort of health system because it gets people out and about more. It is, as you say, positive for people's mental health. Um, but, yeah, trade it off against the idea you obviously don't want a large dog in a small apartment. That's not a good fit and no one has a, you know, quote-unquote right to that. But, uh, as you say, it's it's complex. Malcolm Simwangaratta. Morning, Malcolm. Oh, good morning, Michelle. Thank you for taking me call. No problems. Uh, um, I, I totally agree with you that things have changed in the last 20 or 30 years. I, I'm not against dogs. I think they're ideal for elderly people or people on their own or what have you. But as far as young people going, um, I think the emphasis is too much on dogs because, one, they're, they're spending their money on dogs, one or two dogs. They're not, they're not thinking of, their, of putting money aside to have a family themselves or buying their own home. Uh, and, and the fact that the state government uh, passed a regulation to say that you can't stop a tenant from having a dog, so therefore they can have an expensive dog, mm. but they're still renting and they're not going to get their own property because they're still renting and paying vet fees and so forth. And then you look at the Western world, how we are. You look at countries now that where the disasters are and there's little kids going to be orphaned and everything. Wouldn't we be better off to try and 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 raise children or have have raised children in other countries oh, and help okay, them? That's a big leap, but yeah. I see where you're going, Malcolm. On that, Jeremy Story Carter, you're the demographic Malcolm's talking about. Should you be spending less money on Tilly? and more money on trying to plan for a family. And yeah, yeah, of course. Only rich people with big homes should uh, have dogs and people who rent and are locked out of home ownership should never have the joy of having that. No, I completely disagree with that. Um, I think that it is a wonderful thing that renters have uh, been uh, given slightly more rights when it comes to pet ownership. There is a whole generation right now for whom the idea of home ownership is completely unattainable. And the idea that a house that might cost you $800,000 to $1.5 million, depending on where you live, uh, is somehow comparable to, you know, in my case, I can just be upfront about it, we adopted Tilly for a fee of eight dollars $900. Uh, if, if you think those things, you know, that contributes to a deposit in any meaningful way, <laughs> uh, well, then I think it's worth checking the real estate websites a bit closer. So why are we taking our dogs everywhere? What is the reason behind it? Why has pet ownership changed so significantly over the last couple of decades? You this is the Conversation Hour. Nothing but a hound. 
Michelle Hunt and Jeremy Story Carter with you. We're talking about pet ownership and how it's changed. Why we take our dogs everywhere now. What's the reason behind it? This, I've stayed at dog-friendly hotel with my mini cavoodle. I go to outdoor cafe areas. I wouldn't go indoors to eat. Dogs should be well-behaved in all areas. And this is from Greg in Albert Park. Dogs two things. We have no space. There's a housing crisis. We need to take our pets places. And secondly, social media, no community. We're lonely. Dogs are filling a huge void. Dr. Louise Grimmer is a senior lecturer in retail marketing at full, and a Fulbright scholar at the University of Tasmania. Has pet ownership just fundamentally changed over the last 20 odd years, Louise? Oh, yes. Hi, Rochelle. Hi, Jeremy. I've so been enjoying listening to this conversation. Um, So many terrific points. Yes, I think it has. And you've touched on a lot of the reasons um, around why things have changed over time. I think one of the big things, and and you have talked about this, but it is um, around loneliness. And um, we know that about a third of Australians actually report feeling lonely. And one in six of us experience severe loneliness. And this is really... I guess been amplified um, since the pandemic, but it was always a problem prior to the pandemic in lots of countries around the world. But in Australia, um, you know, we have the HILDA survey that comes mm. out every year, the um, Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia survey. And um, it had some interesting findings. It found, you know, when we think of loneliness, I guess we often tend to think of older people being lonely. But this report actually found that it was people aged 15 to 24 yeah. who were reporting the the greatest um, rates of loneliness. Another survey um, found it was actually, in their survey, it was men aged 35 to 49 reporting the highest levels of loneliness. So I think... um, And we also know that that demographic of men is the highest rate of suicide. So this is a serious conversation. Yeah, that's right. So I think you've touched on so many of the reasons um, around why um, Australian households have such high rates of pet ownership. I didn't catch the, the start of your um, conversation, but I've listened to, to a lot of it. But um, I'm not sure if this was mentioned, but about 62% of Australian households have a pet. And that's actually much higher than the UK, which is 40%. And uh, continental Europe is about 40% as well. But in those countries, you see um, particularly dogs in public places much more so than you do Mm. here in Australia. Um, We we have a ratio of about um, 101 to 100 adults to pets in Australia. So there are actually more, you know, adults, sorry, more animal companions than than adults in Australia. Um, But one of the things you did touch on that I do agree with, I think we do have a lot of restrictions and regulations in Australia, more so than they do in other countries. And I think um, that small housing that we've got, the the um, need for people to get out and about with their pets because they might not have a big backyard or they might need, live in an apartment. And I think what we really need to see is better planning in public spaces mm. so that people who do have dogs for, you know, this is what we're talking about, dogs really, um, can go to places where they are welcome. And people who don't like dogs, because you've heard from many of those as well, 
don't have to go to those um, places. But we need to plan our cities better, I think, because so many of us now have a oh, dog. It's a and whole other debate. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I'm lucky enough to have a footy oval near um, my house that is, like, clearly signed as a dog off-lead area and dog owners will go there. I kick the footy with my dog who chases it, knocks it over, brings it back. And I, the amount of interactions I've had with other people there, and it's interesting you mentioned that kind of demographic of men, you know, who are typically affected by loneliness in that kind of 35 mm. to 40, I see men with you know, showing a lot of care and a lot of compassion for their dog and a lot of connection a in a way. to connect too. Like, so yeah. you guys That's might end right. up having a chat whilst you're there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I, I think the, the social aspect, the, the, um, opportunity for social interaction and you know when you were talking to Doug from the pub he was talking about the sense of community I mean having a little dog sparks so many conversations um, amongst strangers and they're the sorts of things that we want it's those sort of serendipitous um, interactions that can help with loneliness and can help with sort of building connections amongst people so having something like a footy oval where they're actually really happy for people to take their dogs is an amazing thing and we need many more places Places like that, mm. I think, because as you've you know heard from lots of your listeners, some people are actually genuinely terrified of dogs. Oh, absolutely! Yeah. Um, and you know, we've got plenty of people saying that on text. Can, and and we understand that for also from the perspective of not wanting to go to premises that might have dogs. But I do find that for the most part, a lot of pubs do quite clearly sign post that you know this is a dog friendly sort of place. I mean, what do you think yeah. about from the their perspective? Uh, particularly in a difficult economic climate for a lot of businesses where people are struggling to spend as much as they might want to. What sort of opportunities do you think that a clearly signed, uh, you know, pub, uh, dog-friendly pub, that that actually affords them? Yeah, I look, I'm, I'm on the side of, <laughs> I guess, more pets in public places. Um, and particularly from a, you know, as a business researcher and a retail researcher, some of those stories that you heard from people calling in, I, you know, just made me smile and um, sort of made, made me feel great. The, obviously, um, the pubs do become known for, um, in the local community, that, it, that they're dog friendly pubs. We, I'm, from um, Hobart and we have a few of those and um, they're a lovely sense uh, of, they have a lovely sense of community because often where you see dogs you also see lots of children and you sort of build these kinds of communities. Now some business owners don't want to do that, that's fine but I, I have noticed we are seeing more shops having perhaps a, a place to tie your dog lead outside, yeah. a water bowl outside. And I think floor. that's important as well, giving them that space maybe outside so that you don't have to mm. bring yeah. them in. Louise, thank you it's been wonderful to speak with you. We appreciate your time. Dr. Louise Grimmer, their senior lecturer in retail marketing. And speaking of marketing, Rebecca sent us a message and it says, I work at Bunnings and we've had to set up several buckets around the store containing stuff to clean up after the dogs. It's revolting. Many dog owners are negligent in their responsibilities. And also I've been attacked twice in my life. It's taken me years to overcome this phobia of dogs. It was made worse by entitled owners believing that the rules don't apply to them. Not everyone does the right thing, Jeremy. Yeah, and this I is think, the thing. I think I probably 
you know, over-assumed here or maybe haven't explicitly stated that I do think there is a absolute foundational responsibility on dog owners to train uh, their dogs and to make sure that They'd if you're like taking kids, into right? a place that they are actually, and, and under control as well, be it lead and things like that. But what some dog owners think is their dog under control for some people. For, so for me, for example, if I'm going for a walk and a dog is off leash and the dog comes bounding up to me and jumps on me, I despise that. The owner inevitably will say, don't worry, she's really friendly. And I'm like, I don't care. I don't want your dog on me. Yeah, see, I wouldn't think of that as a, a particularly well-trained dog. No, but people have very different opinions of their dogs and can look at their dogs like their kids, right, with through rose-coloured glasses in terms of what is appropriate behaviour. And that's where it gets tricky. And people are texting in saying, I've had dogs fighting under the table when I was trying to eat. Justin's in Hawthorne. G'day, Justin. Good morning, uh, Rich and guests. Thanks for taking my call. I just uh, want to quickly... I purchased an apartment here about two years ago in Hawthorne. It's um, got a lovely atrium in the centre. There's about 80 apartments and I've just noticed over the last few years, as you mentioned, a lot more people, and particularly young ones, are buying and committing to having dogs as pets, which is fine. I'm not anti-dog. I understand it's a very big pros and cons thing, and we'll be talking about this for a long time. <laughs> um, going forward, I guess I heard a reference before to uh, children. Mm. I've also had children. When it comes to training more and more people in this building, I've noticed, are either going out of an evening or going to work. So <clears throat> they have other commitments which they can't take their pet, which is fine. And they're locking the dog out on the balcony, in particular mm. down below where there's a small courtyard. Now, that's fine. I mean, you know, there's usually food and a bed and whatnot, but many dogs aren't trained properly. And what they do, which is natural is pine for their owner. So they start barking and howling and yelping and won't stop and it'll go on for hours until they get home. Now, I understand why the dog's doing that, but I guess the emphasis is on the commitment and it is a large It is, and I think that sort of lends in, Jeremy, to the show that we did on the huge number of pet surrendering. People can go back to the conversation now. I go through the ABC Listen Up to listen back to that because Justin is right. That dog is stressed at home. And it's uh, on that exact program we were talking about the fact that when you go through the adoption process, at least in my experience, and I think a, a lot of um, experience of people I know who have adopted dogs, it's actually really rigorous and some of the emphasis that gets put on you is will you, you know, what what is the structure of your life, what's your kind of you know, backyard situation or your access to green space and how will you be able to involve um, this dog in your life? That Those were the sorts of questions I got uh, from the adoption sort of service and I think that's quite different to, say, getting a, um, you know, designer breed uh, that may sort of look like it's a good fit for an apartment but... Um, in actual fact, it still needs all the things that dogs need. See, back in my day, I sound a thousand years old. I don't know how we ended up with so many dogs, right? We just got given. <laughs> we just got given dogs. I can't imagine anyone spending a lot of money back then. Maybe sometimes it's just so different. Um, you know how you end up owning a dog. Conversation hour. I'm just a 
Rochelle Hunt and Jeremy Story. Carter, Jeremy, a part of the National Regional Reporting Team. We're talking about the reasons behind why we are taking our dogs everywhere we go. Is it because we are better pet owners now than we were 20 or 30 years ago? What has changed? What has shifted? This message says, I'm actually moving away from Northcote because this is a problem. There's too many entitled owners thinking that their precious can go everywhere and do anything. Professor Enzo Palombo is a professor in microbiology at Swinburne University of Technology. Enzo, I mean, we heard from a texter before, Rebecca, who's talking about there having to be buckets so that they can clean up at Bunnings after dogs do poos and wheeze everywhere. I mean, when we're talking about hygiene and, and retail, this is not great. No, I'm glad you raised that point. Um, and certainly when we think of animals, we have to remember that they do often, probably all the time, carry um, things like bacteria, viruses, other types of microbes that have the potential to, to transfer to humans. So hygiene is one of the most important factors in any situation, but particularly if we're talking about food premises where um, animals are in the same environment, there is always a risk of transmission of those sort of microbes to, to us. So we need to take precautions. It's worth saying that that particular hardware store that was mentioned, I know their policy um, for, for dogs in store and it actually involves you got to put them in a box and then put them in a trolley so that... Right. Um, How easy is that? Uh, it depends on your dog, but yeah, it would probably be enough for a lot of people to reconsider bringing their dogs into that uh, hardware store. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested, Enzo, this week, you know, there's been a lot of conversation around uh, yeah, dogs in pubs specifically, and yep. with that comes a sort of general sense that, well, isn't that a bit uh, dangerous in, from a health perspective? Isn't that going to affect us? Now, I have my views on that, but what would your much more trained and studied view uh, be on that? Yeah, I, I don't want to inflame a very much discussion it. here. But <laughs> but certainly, yeah, we, we know animals do carry things that can transmit to humans. They're, they're called zoonoses. I think most people have now heard about COVID. After the last couple of years, yeah, we're familiar <laughs> yes. with that idea. Yep. Yes, yes. So, yeah, we know it's, 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 it happens. Um, when we think about these situations, we, we have to distinguish between the hazard and the risk. And there is a risk. It may be a low risk, but for certain people... Um, if you're immune compromised, if you've got other underlying conditions, um, if you're pregnant, if you're young or old, yes. you are a highly vulnerable population. And anything we can do to minimise exposure to these things is is um, definitely a, a good idea. Um, particularly in, in again back in the food situation, food handling, food premises, hand hygiene is is, is critical. So if if you brought a, an animal into a food premises. Um, they've jumped on the table, <laughs> hopefully not. They've licked the plate or they've touched oh. you or you've touched them. You know, <laughs> there's there's an opportunity for transmission. What so if you're working there, and so on, you've patted the dog, so staff members patting the dog, but and then they don't yep. wash your hands and then they pour you a beer? Again, it, yeah, the risk is there. It might depends on, on, the, on the individual. Um, but, yeah, there, there is a risk. So I would encourage not just the owners to be responsible, but also the people who are, at the premises, the owners, the, the patrons, the staff, all, all, all parties to know about hand hygiene. So, you know, we've introduced things like sanitizers in, in, in many premises. I've seen those no longer being used as often as they were mm-hmm. years ago. Um, you I, sort of I see would... an empty bottle sitting around yeah. on the bar still, I still use yeah, it yeah, all the time. Yeah. And I've never had COVID, touch wood, so <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm, I'm not paranoid, but just careful. You know, just, just be aware of your environment. Now, stay with us, Enzo. Um, Lynn has called through from Geelong. Lynn, what did you want to share? Well, I'm pretty much um, 
going to repeat what the chap before said. Um, I love dogs. We've had them all our lives and the kids were growing up. And I babysit the kids' gorgeous little cavoodle. Um, I will say, too, that it now sneaks onto my bed when it's down here. Mm. But I won't... <laughs> but what concerns me, no one that I know seems to wash their hands after patting the dog, mm. getting up and getting you a snack... Doing, I can't believe it. When my kids were little, they had to d- wash their hands after they'd patted the dog, but maybe they don't have the dog in their arms all the time like everyone seems to have. Well, that's it. Like, it was kind of different, wasn't it? I mean, dogs didn't sleep with us. They weren't in our lives the way that they were previously. Hand hygiene is a big part of it. While we have you, Enzo, let's also have a chat to Glenda, who's out on the road. Hi, Glenda. Hi, how are you going? Good. What do you want to say? Uh, well, I wanted to say I'm an animal lover, first off, but, but. Big but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, a huge but. <laughs> uh, because what really annoys me in a cafe, and these are friends that bring their dogs. They have to bring their dog to dinner. They have to take it to lunch. They have to take it to breakfast where the smell of bacon gets the dog going. And people feed it at the table. Oh, yeah. They I'm with you, They pull out Glenda. a piece of bacon. They give it to the dog. And then the dog walks around. I've actually had two pair of pants ripped oh. by friends' dogs that come and scrape on your leg wanting you to give them food. And I find that so appalling. Yeah, Glenda, I'm with you. Mm. I hate dogs being fed human food at the table, yeah. especially if I've cooked it. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. And so is there any hygiene levels when it's to- when you're feeding dogs at the table, especially if it's coming off your own plate? Oh, again, it's all, it's all down to <laughs> individual behaviours and, and the risk involved. Um, one thing to consider also is Human food isn't designed for, for animals. Yeah. So you may be actually harming the animal by feeding it you know, a fatty piece of bacon. <laughs> so we think about the ourselves, but the animals are also part of the, of the conversation. Um, but, yeah, if you're, if you're handling the dog, if you get saliva on you while you're feeding the dog and then you don't wash your hands afterwards, sure, there is an opportunity there. There was a uh, report, I think, a few weeks back in Western Australia, a woman got bitten by a dog and was um, infected by a, a rare thing, but it caused her to eventually get to hospital and she, she passed away. So the risk is low, but it's, it's still there. So we should be very, very cautious about those interactions. Yeah, and potentially as it uh, evolves as a phenomenon, because we've been talking about it, this has kind of, maybe it's been in the background, but there really uh, has been a surge in, in venues that support this sort of, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, having dogs there. So maybe that should mark a point where we need to think a little bit more carefully about um, what we do to mitigate uh, that risk. Uh, Professor Enzo Palumbo, thank you so much for adding a little bit of expertise uh, to an otherwise uh, occasionally emotive uh, discussion. Thank you so much. Thank you. When we talk about loneliness and the loneliness epidemic that we're living through, not just for older people but for younger people as well, we haven't been able to read all of the texts that come in, but here's just one. I can go weeks without talking in to anyone. Walking my dog gives me a sense of purpose. I want to support local businesses. I don't want to leave the dog on the footpath for fear of him being stolen. So I would really love a strict assistant to be introduced so I could confidently shop locally. And there's just so many texts about people talking about without their dog, they don't know what they would do. Trish Ennis is the 
Sea of Companion Animal Network. And Trish, previously we spoke to you about, I guess, a big change and shift in pet ownership when it comes to aged care homes. So people, again, can go back to the conversation hour and subscribe and listen to that program because that was incredible and really emotional. Are we seeing a shift in terms of where we should be allowed to take our dogs when it comes to loneliness? Absolutely, we are. Um, We've just, uh, I think we spoke about, we were running a survey at the time uh, when we got the results in. And unfortunately, there's only 18% of residential care homes take animals or allow people to take animals with them. Now, we've been working with a group here in Melbourne called LifeView and we have created policies, rules, regulations and so on. And it's slowly getting out there to the residential care places that it is a better way of working. It's, uh, it allows them to increase the people, the people that want to come in with their pets. Uh, so they're basically getting their doors knocked down, really, to try and, uh, to you know, have these people come in, which is really mm. terrific. Um, and the other thing that we're looking at is hopefully because the government after um, their big hoo-ha uh, is now talking to uh, trying to get people to stay in their homes. So one of the things that we're doing at the moment is to try and get support packages to include pet care, which is not a big deal and it's not a big expense. So how that would basically work is if people have got cleaners coming in yeah what's the difference of them throwing a dog blanket in the wash with the other stuff if they've got like gardening why can't they pick up a bit of dog poop and can i just say you've just <laughs> stirred something in my um beautiful grandma mimi who's no longer with us but she was sort of on a period of uh, decline in her health and then got a puppy and uh, she lived in Ballarat, and she named it the same name as uh, the Buffy, which is what uh, her dog was called decades earlier. Yeah, my nan did that too. Yeah, and it, honestly, the energy shift in her, suddenly she was walking about more, suddenly she was, um, you know, taking walks around the neighbourhood, and she, I, our family does sort of credit it with her, in part, being in her home for a lot longer. And we also know that, and Trish, your research has looked into this, I believe, that for people that maybe do need to go into aged care, maybe either physically or emotionally, it might be dementia or it just might be that just physically are weaker and, and need that care and try and hide symptoms from family members because they're worried that they're going to lose their pet or they won't be able to take their pet with them. Oh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, no, it's a shocking thing, but um, hopefully we're working on now. We actually, it was recently with Booper Aged Care, which they have 58 places. They've now committed to allowing people to take pets with them. So based on the rules and regulations, so it's little simple things that mm. need to be done, which is number one, the person has to be able to look after that pet. Number two, uh, the pet has to be checked by vets, uh, behaviourists, all that sort of thing, so they are going to be suitable for the aged care place. Uh, Pets must be on leads at all times, including cats, if they're outside the room. Uh, yeah, because then we also know that cats and dogs don't get along. Just finally, Trish, because unfortunately we're running out of time, I know moving off the aged care um, topic for just a moment, you've also been looking into workplaces 
potentially allowing people to bring their dogs to work to try and urge people who have been working from home got themselves a dog because you're working from home and you can, but now feel like they can't get back into the office because they have this responsibility of a pet. Oh, absolutely. The the Pets in Business program that we've got is fantastic. Uh, we've actually set it up recently with uh, a shared space uh, company. So they've got all these different businesses working out of the shared space and they're loving it. It's uh, yeah, it's really social. It um, increases everyone's happiness going to work, um, and yeah, so it's mm. it's just you know the rules are there. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> well, it's been an important perspective, uh, particularly as it pertains um, yeah to those in the sort of. Uh, aged care space because I think it is it's not it's something worth um, trivialising or diminishing. Uh, Trish Ennis um, CEO of the Companion Animal Network, thank you so much for joining us Thanks Jeremy, thanks Rochelle Thanks Trish This is another message talking about the big hardware store and it says people bring their dogs in and sometimes they put them up on the counter Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that a step too far? Yeah, it wouldn't do that. Um, and, yeah, I do think there there is the absolute extreme end of behaviour uh, with totally. this stuff. And then there's the kind of more moderated um, space. But so, that's when you're talking about legislation and changes in laws. How do you bring that into it? I mean, because it's common decency is what we're talking about. So, yeah, I think pubs, you know, when we talk about community, there are actually like little ecosystems within pubs and there is a kind of behaviour. Like I, I mentioned cafes. I probably actually wouldn't take my dog to a cafe but a pub like my favorite pub in the world doesn't serve food has an upstairs space uh and so we'll sit up there and it's quite large outdoors and yeah be there for a few hours and till sort of sit underneath and yeah have a great life erica's oh in a beautiful part of the state in aspendale erica what do you think Oh, hello. Um, My daughter's got a service dog, so has passed a public access test. And this dog's allowed anywhere Mm -hmm. apart from food prep areas and surgical areas. And she's just finding it increasingly hard because dogs without that level of training are in public spaces and not behaving particularly well. And it interrupts the... Can I ask what sort of... Is is, is it for vision impairment? What sort of service Uh, um, No, yes, psychosocial. So um, extreme levels of anxiety. My daughter basically can't leave the house without her dog. Companion dogs Um, in the mental health space are huge now. They're having wonderful results, Erica, aren't they? So the other dogs, I guess, just interact with it and then... Erica's dog, yeah. uh, your daughter's dog's not getting the best experience. Absolutely. And, um, you know, dogs licking or having a drink out of a glass that's meant for a human or growling, wanting to play with a service dog um, is, is really not okay. So I think if dogs are going to be in public places, there really needs to be a, a level of training that's, that's acceptable. Mm. Erica, thank you. And when we talk about, I guess it comes down to responsible pet ownership, Jeremy Story, Carter mm. as well. The reasons behind it, though, because as you sort of mentioned before, and the topic can sort of seem a bit lighthearted, but actually once you start to scrape away at it, we've discussed everything today from being pushed out of home ownership, the loneliness epidemic that we're talking about, uh, especially in particular for men, you know, middle-aged men and needing companionship. There's a lot 
to this, but it's about just doing it right and yeah, doing it and with I think, respect. I think we might actually be at the start of a wave of this where, you know, it's become a bit of a thing, particularly coming out of lockdowns, that yeah, people do take their um, dogs to pubs way, way more than we ever did. But there probably is a code of behaviour we have to sort of get on board with. I mean, there are a few people who sort of suggest that this is a divisive topic even. It is, um, it is. And yet it's not, going, it's not going away. And, in fact, if you have, um, you know, we talk about caring for small businesses and thinking, you know, what can we do to support them? Well, if they want dogs in their premises and they clearly signal that and they provide... I think that's the key, signalling Signalling it. it. And I do think a lot of places do do this. And if that then is an extra inadvertent income source, essentially a way that keeps people there for a bit longer than they otherwise might might have, I think we have to look at that. It's a real thing and it's probably not going to go away. So um, probably just need to figure out a better way to do it. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.